welcome to WP Tonic episode 47. This is a live show, our panel, and most of our panels here, and our guest is Shane Perlman today. We've got, of course, there he is waving. We've got David, we've got John, and we've got Jonathan. And of course, this is a show for the podcast, and you can also catch it on YouTube if you just hit the artwork on your iPhone. Go ahead, Jonathan, take it away. What are we going to talk about today? Oh, we got um, we got a, a fantastic guest, um, Shane Pillman, CEO of Modern Tribe. Hi, Shane. Hi, folks. We're missing some of our panel. Unfortunately, Sally is quite ill and she is in hospital. Hopefully it's not too serious. Um, Morton um, couldn't join us because he's actually discussing one of the things that we're hopefully um, going to be talking about, JavaScript. And hopefully Adam will be able to join us at some time during the conversation. So I'd like to introduce, can you just quickly introduce yourself, Shane, to the um, to the audience? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Shane Perlman. I'm one of the partners at Modern Tribe. Uh, we are, uh, I don't know if you might call us a hybrid company. We're a digital agency. We do a lot of services work for large brands, everybody from universities like Stanford and Harvard to Steelcase, eBay, Boeing, you name it. Uh, we also have uh, a substantial contribution to the WordPress open source, uh, some pretty big plugins, um, as well as some time spent uh, at events and so forth. Uh, and we also have an events calendar, uh, the events calendar and a premium offering on top of it uh, that's gotten quite a bit of momentum. Yes, that's great. Thanks, Shane. Um, what about you, David? Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is David Lida. I uh, own a web development firm called Orange Blossom Media. Um, I organize the Orlando Meetup and WordCamp and love WordPress. <laughs> Are you going to put your funny hat on again? I will. Uh, I'm going to go for yes, please, please do that. Uh, oh, yes. That, that's, that's great. Um, glad to introduce yourself, John. Yeah, sure thing. My name is John Locke. And I am an independent web developer, a WordPress developer, operates as Lockdown Design. Right, thanks, John. So um, I'm going to hit the show off. We've got three main topics. Um, like I say, um, also Brian um, couldn't join us, uh, unfortunately. But I'm funny enough going to start off with um, his better half. Um, we got, we got three topics and... Um, she kind of discussed had a topic at the Orange County um, WordPress, um, um, and basically it was about her experiences selling over a million dollars worth of uh, design um, services, um, selling a million dollars in design. Um, so Jennifer basically talked about her experiences and handling. So what I thought I would ask the panel is, what have you learned over your career about handling clients' expectations and the whole process of dealing with clients in a professional and in a constructive way? Um, I'll start with our guest, Shane. What would you say about that subject? Sure. Uh it's interesting because I've had the opportunity, uh, let's say it started 2001, so I've had the opportunity to go from mom and pop customers through middle size to larger enterprise customers and, and 
you'll find that they actually have a surprising amount in common, uh, and yet there are some nuances as you scale. Uh, actually, I, I'm going to be giving a talk at Prestige uh, in Minneapolis in, a, in about a month on sort of, we call it whale hunting. Or basically, how do you go out and actually move up in terms of the quality, size, and types of customers that you have? Um, and, and there are certain steps in understanding corporate bureaucracy um, and being able to navigate. We just closed a contract with Stanford in, in an open RFP process. And a lot of what, at the final close, they started asking questions that made it exceedingly clear. Not only were they interested in our ability to deliver on the work, um, but also on our ability to navigate their politics, uh, their internal processes. Like they said, hey, we've got a deadline where we need to get something up in September. How are you going to pull this off? And my first answer was, how long is it going to take us to get through procurement? Because last time it took six weeks to get through with you guys. The good news is we're now in your system. Hopefully it'll get a lot faster. But just knowing the fact that I knew how their systems worked, that I knew the different types of challenges. Um, but I think that's important. The other thing that, you know, you, you go to – people like us or WebDev or TenUp or um, Crab Favorite, you see this wall of logos. Yeah. And the truth is that wall of logos means very little. I, SAP was never technically my customer. Fred was my customer. And when Fred moved to another department or another company, unless I had managed to lay down relationships with people who would continually create ongoing work, I SAP no longer was a customer. On the other hand, when Fred moves to Uber, the odds are pretty good if I can maintain and cultivate that relationship. In a place like Silicon Valley and in tech where people move every couple of years, if not more often, you'll actually see that the, you basically ride relationships throughout companies. Um, and that's, yeah. that's true across all yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a fantastic point you're making here because the people get they just don't realise that it's a person behind that logo that you've built a relationship with. So, what do you think, David? What's your what's your feeling about what Shane said, and what's what's your kind of reflections about you know the way you deal with, dealt with clients and the process? Uh, well. Um, I would say that uh, I'm at a different magnitude of scale. Um, you know, as, as a sole proprietor and I just work with contractors, my clients are generally in the, uh, depending on the project, in the ten to $20,000 range, just get uh, an idea of the size of projects that I work on. Um, and these clients, it is a lot more, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to say uh, where, even though I'm dealing with somebody at a specific company, um, they're they're more of a middleman. They're the one who's supposed to um, they're supposed to you know try to convey what their boss wants to me, um, which I can see being I don't know maybe maybe Shane can uh, say different, but I can see it being a little bit more um, more troublesome in smaller companies. Um, I'd like to imagine that the all the C-suite people are a little bit closer to the managers uh, that they're working with. Like they will necessarily take more of a hands-on role. Uh, whereas I imagine in a larger business, correct me if I'm wrong, they, they allow a little bit more abstraction where um, you aren't say 
friends with the person who you have the contract with, but then the boss is basically micromanaging them like right in front of their screen while you're working with them. God, I wish. Um, (laughs) The fact is that literally every customer we go through has a different complex interpersonal relationship dynamic that they're managing. And you can't actually count on the person's title as to whether or not they have the ultimate right to make a decision. I've worked with one of the largest uh, growth investment funds in the U.S., a multi-billion dollar fund, working directly with the CEO to address how they were going to handle kind of some of their consumer marketing. The guy had a vision, went out, hunted us down. We're like, wow, okay, this is going to be great. We're not going to – he's going to just make a decision, and we're going to, like, shoot right through this. Um, he went, presented it to the board, immediately got shot down, was really upset. And what we learned was that just because he happened to be the CEO didn't mean he ultimately had the right to make any decisions about his website. Turned out he had a board and they just, so it was like, so you never actually know. Uh, and one of the things we do when we're vetting projects is actually looking at the stakeholder and trying to decide whether or not they have the capacity to internally wrangle decisions. Yeah, I feel that's a good. Yeah. We run into so many projects where it doesn't matter what size or what place. Sometimes it's personality. Like I look at them, I'm like, "Wow, you are being trampled by everybody around you. This is going to be a disaster." And it's not because the project's a disaster. It's just if you don't have a stakeholder with the internal volition and political know-how to get things done within their group. As things get bigger, it's worse. You just have more bosses and more opinions. I'm just going to bring Shane. I'm just going to bring John in. So, John, what's your, what's your, your experience? Because I think we've got a, a wide spectrum of different um, kind of client bases here, so it's quite interesting. So what's been your experience, John? Uh, when it comes to selling design, um, it's definitely true that you have to find out who the stakeholders are and who makes the decisions. Because oftentimes, even at you know, at a smaller scale, um, the person who approaches you might not be the person who's going to manage the project or who's uh, approving, you know, uh, the project. That's absolutely what you have to find. Um, but when people hire you, they are uh, they. You have to communicate with them as much as you can before you enter into the project. And uh, when you're selling design or you're selling development you're selling anything about the project, wh- what you're really selling is their goals that they're trying to reach. And I, I found that um, if you find the motivation for why they want to do the project, yeah. that'll go a long way toward winning the client. And, and everything in your pitch and your proposal has to be tied back to achieving those goals, the overall business goals, and just keep tying stuff back to that. But you won't find that out unless you talk with them, uh, you know, in the beginning and, and dig deeper than what they're telling you on the surface. Yeah, I think that's a great point, John. Um, I just got a couple of comments and get some feedback from Shane. Um, Jennifer, when she was doing her presentation, I have listened to a number of podcasts that Jennifer's done, and uh, Born Creative seemed to have a very structured um, 
kind of set up about before they engage with a client and it, it they seem to i wouldn't say barriers but they put in um a very strong system of forms and structure before they would even engage with a client and they seem to be trying to automate um the process of identifying clients that they can work with and clients they can't it's a shame that brian isn't here because i wanted to ask him more about that structure um but i feel, well i think um what thing i was going to ask you shane is that i think with modern tribe with your plugin plus your higher end you've literally got a virtual business cycle because well i understand talking to other people that work with large projects is you can get into quite considerable cash flow problems but then you've got the actual plugin side of your business um so I, I actually get the impression you you know you, when you when you get things right in business, I call it a virtual a virtual circle. It kind of feeds on itself. Um, so this mixture of high end work with your plugin, do you see it in that kind of way? So yeah, I mean, and it's not entirely accidental. In two thousand eight, we went through the whole corporate budget lockdown experience because it was really interesting until then and we were just getting new to enterprise clients i mean we we just started to land some of these and we're really excited and we discovered something really early on which was these people have fiscal cycles and towards the end of their fiscal period if they don't spend their money it goes away and so they they start getting really creative they're like if you can just show up at the right date or the right person like so how much you got left over that's gone in two weeks? And what creative things can we do with that money before you lose it? And this was huge. Like I would sell a year's worth of work between December 14th and December 19th before everybody went on vacation. Um, and, and in 2008, it's like the finance people sort of figured that out. And they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, no, none of that. And suddenly my, my whole process fell out. And that was one of the big incentives to start figuring out um, another revenue of cash flow that was in, that was independent from large corporate cycles. Because one of the things I really like about the, the way the product business revenue is, you know, the heart of our products business are yoga studios, um, small hotels, churches, like these people have a completely different economic flow than a corporate business. And so it, they really do balance each other out, not because one pays when one doesn't, but because when the market flexes, they're prone to different forces. Um, it's much more secure. And then personally, I would really like us to see us have a third. And that's something that hopefully in the next year or two, um, will sufficiently stabilize certain aspects of each of the business to free up the space to do that. Yeah, I understand. Um, a thumbs up, though, on really touching on some key stuff on sales. Um, sorry, I lost that, Shane. What was you saying? Oh, I just wanted to give John a thumbs up for really touching on one of the hard elements of, like, bigger sales, dude. You really, like, if I got this from my business partner, Peter, if you can come out of a sales process with the answer, how does this project succeed? Like what a win looks like that either sets you up for failure success. Most projects we've ever had trouble with or failed on 
if we take the time to trace it back, we can conclude that we were actually aiming for the wrong wind. Yeah. Yeah. And and you got to sort of ask over and over again, usually during the sales process of what does the wind look like? What does it look like? Oh, well, if we could have everything on the side of the sun, well, that's nice. But what does a wind actually look like? Um, you know, is it, is it budget? Is it timeline? Is it, you know, and sometimes it'll come down to like, if you could just make me look good in front of my boss and my boss really likes blue, you're like, all right, blue it is. It's like, I don't know, but you can, you tend to find as you whittle and whittle, you'll ultimately figure out the one or two things that really matter. And those are the difference between success and failure. They'll also tell you whether or not this person has the capability to lead it to success. Because if they can't answer it, that's that's a dangerous sign. Yeah, I would imagine. So, David, what's your experiences about dealing with the process? And is, is the key the color blue? Is that the key, David, you know? Well, uh, Trello's background is blue by default, so I'm going to say yes, the key is the color blue. Uh, first of all, I want to, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll expand upon that, but uh, I want to thank uh, Jennifer and Brian, they're not here, but just in case they're listening, I've learned a lot from uh, yeah. from listening to uh, some of the podcasts that they've done and uh, reading yeah. blog posts, and uh, one of the most important things for me is having a real system behind everything. Um, you know, just having those repeatable processes that I can make sure that I'm not missing anything, that every step is getting accounted for, that everything that needs to be done is getting accounted for. And uh, to tie it all in, for me, that's Trello. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, I tell everyone, it doesn't matter what tool you're using, uh, as long as you're using a tool and, um, you know, for, for, for productivity, for tracking. And uh, Trello hits all, all of my needs of, you know, one, not being a wadded of napkins, I'll actually have it later. You know, it's available on all of my devices. I can easily share things with people. Uh, and this includes my clients. Uh, every time I start a new project, I make sure I have a public place that uh, all of my clients go on to. And uh, I give them a short intro about how uh, Trello works. And I'm a bit of a stickler about making sure the process stays in that one area. Um, by that, I mean, you know, don't, don't give me a phone call or send me an email or do whatever to tell me to get something done. It doesn't exist unless there's a card created for it. Uh, that way we can all be on the same page about everything. Have you ever had a difficult, I'm trying to find, put this in the right way, David. Have you ever had that difficult conversation where you've got blowback, you know, we don't want to use this. Why is what we are paying you? Why do we, and how have you, is that been a red flag and you, you know, you parted waves with them or, or how have you dealt with it? So we actually haven't had a conversation about that. And, um, I admit, I take a kind of passive aggressive approach, uh, that I learned from an old boss. We used we used Basecamp at that company. Uh, but, um, it was at well, one day he uh, realized just how much of a uh, how much of a pain point it was keeping track of certain tasks among a team. Um, you know, it was a smaller company; it was like ten people, but still, it was enough of us that uh, we had to keep track of what everyone was doing. Uh, so he put a new um, he put a new process in place for uh, for himself and for the project manager, uh, which was we tell a client uh, how to use it, we demonstrate how to use uh, Basecamp. Uh, they send an email to us uh, with a request. The project manager would copy that email into Basecamp, send them a link to the Basecamp, give them a reminder, by the way, this is how we're doing this, blah, blah, Second email they send that it's not in Basecamp, to get deleted. Yeah. Wouldn't bother responding at all. Did you get that thing? I didn't. It's not in Basecamp. Um, 
it was vaguely passive aggressive approach, uh, but I actually found him to be very uh, very successful. And... Funny enough, my ex-wife used to use that system. Uh, um, but there we go, um, John. Okay, so uh, it might not have been successful there. Well, it was successful for her. That's why she divorced me. Uh, <laughs> uh, John, what's your experiences, you know, with the process and how you handle clients and their, you know, the can you give us some insight? Uh, as far as like project management, yeah, or... yeah, yeah, the whole thing. You know, project management is linked to expiration. You know, what they expect. You know, outcome, isn't it? Yeah. Um, my big key is I really try and just over communicate. Um, very early on, when I first started developing, I, I had a uh, a client. And uh, I didn't communicate, like, what, what was going on, like, on the project. And later, um, you know, I said, like, you know, here's where we're at. And um, it was kind of clear that, that we weren't on the same page, yeah. you know. And, and I learned a really valuable lesson from that. Ever since that time, I've, I've really made an effort to, um, you know, communicate as much as I can, if that means like a daily email or, you know, every other day. Um, I don't have like a lot of tools. I, I don't use tools like Trello or Basecamp because um, it's just me. And my clients usually end up being one of two types. It's either a, a small business owner or I'm subcontracting for a larger agency or, you know, uh, something like that. So usually I just manage everything in email and Dropbox um, but the key is, is I always am timely. I make sure that I'm the first one to initiate contact and I make sure that the other party, whoever I'm getting paid by and doing work for, I make sure that they aren't coming to me before I come to them and let them know what's going on. Uh, and, and that is seemed to, to really, uh, do a lot. Yeah, it just depends on when you're working. You know, um, I'm in similar. It depends on the client. It can be just email. Other times, I've be, I have become a big fan. I was initially um, resistant, but I've become a big fan of Slack. And I use teamwork. Um, teamwork. I um, I'm built. I have built a SaaS product in WordPress, and my, the two developers that I've hired we communicate through teamwork and Slack. So those two have become my main tools. Mm-hmm. And if I'm dealing with a reasonably sophisticated client, it's probably uh, we use teamwork. Um, probably like what David said, I probably haven't laid the, that kind of the way he put it, that passive-aggressive. <laughs> um, I think that's a really good way of putting it. You know, you, you, you're telling them... You're you're being pretty direct. You're telling them this message, but you're not being aggressive. So I think we've covered this. I think we'll go on to story two, which was JavaScript. And um, with the restless API um, kind of mega story that seems to go on and on and on, you know, when when will it be part of core? And... um, it looks like JavaScript, you know, there's been hints from Matt um, that JavaScript's going to be a really important part of WordPress in a way. How do you see that, Shane? Do you, 
um, that article that I put for us to discuss, you know, he was talking about Java. I've only got a bit of jQuery experience, but I thought it would be a good question to put to you because obviously your team is JavaScript and its integration in WordPress becoming more and more important. Sure. So I'm, I'm going to speak from this at a business level, not at a technical level. Um, yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm five years past any point where I should ever have a strong technical development <laughs> discussion. Um, I'll be a bit, um, I think you're pretty good on your technical side. You're we're, we're doing a substantial amount of work with the JSON API right now. Um, we just spent it with Stanford basically abstracting um, the way that we display information and using the API. In fact, something we just finished working on was a whole plugin to deal with caching and scaling the API when you really start hitting it hard. Uh, I, there's a good chance we're going to put it up on GitHub soon. Um, so for those of you guys who are, are adventuring that, you can poke me and I'll point you to it when we release it. Challenges that we started to run into it, and it's exceedingly clear just in the last six months of working on it, is while WordPress historically has had just a passionate and committed relationship with backwards compatibility for core, they have a very funky relationship with backwards compatibility when it comes to JavaScript. For those of us who are trying to explore and make stable products using that API, uh, it's it's a little unstable at the moment. Not that the code's unstable, it's actually, honestly, it's really exciting. Um, and the potential of what it allows us to do uh, and the ability to push information around to create different experiences with the same information, you know, when when Three or four years ago, Mac got up and says, I really think there's a future of WordPress as a framework. I mean, that's this is in the same way that custom post types unlocked WordPress as a CMS, this is going to unlock WordPress as a framework for the future. Um, and we're poking at it a lot. Um, more than that, I, I am not educated enough uh, to provide validity, but there are people on my team who can't. Well, I'm I'm really pleased that David's joined us, but I don't know if you, Dave, if you want to kind of do this, but um, I'm not technically up to it. You know, I'm a I'm a reasonable front end, but I've got more sucked into the business side, and I hire people to do this for me. Um, but I'm not being I'm not being entirely satisfied. What why the restless API, why, what it brings to the table. Now, I, I haven't been satisfied, anybody in the WordPress community that's really given a shot, why it's, it, it's crucial, why it's going to make a big difference. Do you fancy having a quick go in your own reflection why you feel it? Is it important? Is it a game changer and why? I am, but I'm going to go about it in a roundabout way. Uh, first, uh, uh, to address something that uh, Shane said about the um, the blase attitude taking towards uh, just you know throwing things out the window and trying new things when it comes to the uh, you know, to the REST API. My guess, uh, just I know that uh, I guess from a historical standpoint, I know there are a lot of uh, 
things that were done at the beginning of WordPress uh, that were done based on, you know, naivete about how something should work, uh, how something should be built. And there are a lot of things that I know a lot of people would love to get rid of and change from WordPress were it not for the fact that uh, it would affect backwards compatibility. Uh, My guess is that uh, it's being thrown about a bit more with this new API um, because they probably feel that it doesn't have a wide enough adoption that they have to worry too much about breaking things. Like the people who are using this right now are the people who can get right back up and redevelop uh, if something changes that they need. Um, right. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think anyone's saying, hey, Shane, let's make sure you go spend a lot more money to have to rewrite something that you did. Um, but that, that's my guess uh, for why, um, why they're having a more carefree attitude. Um, a lot of people were really excited about the extra speed and performance that would come uh, from being able to maybe preload things uh, using the REST API just to be able to preload a lot of content and display it on the page. Uh, but I don't think that's quite a big deal anymore. Um, every time we think PHP's reached the end of its lifespan, you know, it becomes increasingly uh, quicker. PHP 7 uh, promises to bring a lot of speed enhancements. Um, I mean, Facebook invented a whole new framework around PHP uh, just to handle the speed without having to rewrite their code base. Um, so I think the main thing that's bringing the table now is interactivity. Um, with the with using JavaScript to uh, reload content on pages, you're able to have a lot more interactive experiences. I could have a front end of the website um, that uses those posts and uh, uh, in a brand new way. So instead of just showing off content and then reloading page and getting a new blog post, I can try more fun things like um, like every news site that I see now that uh, when you scroll to the end of the article, it starts loading the next article and changes the uh, slug and you're suddenly reading the next page without having actually done anything. Um, or passing back and forth between related content without actually having to reload the page. Yeah. I think, I think it's interactivity. Yeah, I think that's great, but... Yeah, go that and cross-platform. Um, so, I mean, for example, we have a project right now where they need to have on-site kiosks where people can search directories of information that we store in the main site. And up until recently, there, there was multiple sets of data floating around until we, we had a debate of, God, do we have to custom build an API? Thankfully, the JSON API rolled out with sufficient maturity, and we're like, no, you could just have one data set, and you could have use the API to power uh, a mobile app here and power a kiosk there. And Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I was looking to ask, um, it seems great, but also I, I saw a couple presentations where they were showing a total different interface to, you know, you can build whatever interface, you won't even know that it's WordPress. And I, I see that as a real two-edged sword. I, I really see that you, you know, there's been some themes and there's been some setups where you can't really tell it's WordPress. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if I actually think that's really great. Um, you know, all interfaces can be confusing. They might be really simple for you because you've worked on them a lot. But for the, what, what, what's your feelings around that? Do you think I'm on to something or I'm just not? Well, I, I think now that WordPress has been around for over a decade, 
um, a lot of client sites, a lot of people who have gotten used to navigating the admin area, if you change it up on them and you make it look not like WordPress, um, it's going to be a little confusing for them. Uh, I have seen some themes and some setups where uh, the admin is styled to, to you know to where it doesn't necessarily look like WordPress, and and I think that's okay. Um, but I think if you change too much, uh, too fast, you're going to have to spend time re-educating your clients on how to use um, their actual websites. Uh, I, I think with the REST API, um, some things that are really going to change is you're going to see WordPress used more as a database um, for app frameworks. Yeah. And I think that's going to ensure that it can still keep growing for the next four or five years. Um, the other thing that I think the REST API is going to bring uh, to my understanding, is the ability to do front-end editing. Because I think a lot of people don't like back-end editing. You know, not like us, not like power users, not developers. I'm just saying like regular people. Um, that's, quite, that's quite interesting, John, because I hate doing it at the front end. I, I just, <laughs> why would you do it? I'll just go, but all my clients, I, I totally agree with you. They want to do it on the front. But, but for I, them it I, might be easier. For them it is easier. And for us, yeah, it might not be. There's an arms race going on right now. And Sorry, there's an, yeah, there's an arms race happening in the WordPress theme business right now. I call it theme business, but it's everywhere. And what people are trying to figure out is, because if you consider what WordPress is competing with, they're competing with the future generations of Squarespace and Wix and other mm -hmm. people where it's, it's, how do I make it that much easier, intuitive, and simple to make my band site? or to run my small business site. And when you look at experiences, and some of these aren't even that new, you've got people like MailChimp and Campaign Monitor who've had side-by-side -side editing for four or five years, and that is a substantially better experience than anything WordPress has offered in terms of just real-time content. And we're, we give more power and more flexibility, but what I tend to find is that 90% of users never go there. They do so. They just look, can I just have the picture there? I just want it there. And, and and whoever starts to really solve that elegantly, well, it'll make its way back into core. There's no question about it. Um, but a lot of times the innovation never happens at core. It happens out in the community, and then it bubbles its way back into plugins, and eventually core shakes it down and picks the best. And, and I think when we talk about the JSON API, you're dead on, but it's not just the API. What's going on right now is a genuine conversation among tons of different development shops in terms of individuals trying to answer the question, how do I create content in a way that brings together what I see and what I'm trying to do? Yeah, I think you've, t you've touched something really quite interesting there, Shane. But I just my, my reflection on it is there is a sweet point but I also think it's very similar to when desktop publishing was there, and everybody thought that they were, you know, they all could become a graphic designer and blah blah blah. But the reality is a lot more different. Um, and I think, you know, the, go on, Dave. I think the JSON API um, will unlock a lot more, uh, as John originally said, a lot more ways to use. WordPress as a framework, as some way to 
develop new systems that are using it merely as not merely as a database, but mainly as a database. Because um, even even what uh, Shane brought up uh, about being able to edit on the front end, being able to put the picture in that right spot, um, that's a great thing that it's going to be able to do. But we're still just like for several years, we had to stop thinking about no, no, no. It's not just blog posts. You can actually make pages and things that you know do other things. Now we have to think we're not just talking about content creation here, or at least not content creation in terms of a title and words and pictures. Uh, we can think in terms of, um, I mean, heck, I'm, I'm, I'm building one right now that uh, I'm used to track uh, biometric data. Um, and, and that's not, you know, quite as, uh, quite as sexy as uh, words on a page. Uh, but it's still data that's being collected, but it needs to be collected in a much different way than, you know, utilizing my keyboard to type text and caring about the fact that it's bolded or not bolded or whatever. Um, in that case, I'm not thinking about somebody getting on and uh, being able to navigate the back end of the website. I'm thinking about somebody being able to go on and record that one piece of information as needed and then extract or uh, display that one piece of information as needed. Uh, but WordPress, may, you know, already has uh, a nice relational database set up and lots of tools to abstract that database. Um, it already has a great system for user authentication, uh, for, develop, for putting lots of meta information about all of that information. Um, so... My thought is that for some people, um, the decision will be, all right, what do I want to use? Do I want to use, I'm just tossing out random ones here. Um, do I want to use Node or, okay, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on random ones. I just want to say, do I want to use this thing as my framework to build my app? Do I want to use this or do I want to use WordPress as the framework for building my app? Uh, yeah. Or uh, the other, the one that I'm really more excited about is there's people like me who are not app developers who look at all these people building these things and then realizing, oh, all of those powerful tools that they use are now going to be coming to something that I already understand. Uh, right. So now I can start to join their world. Yeah, yeah well, that's that huge. And, and it gets interesting because we start seeing these paradigm discussions. So, you know, WordPress, well, the first big paradigm that really hit us was this question of timely and timeless. You know, there were timely posts and timeless pages. And I was trying to just wrestle with this idea that maybe something deserved permanence. Um, and, then, and then we started moving into a paradigm of multiple content types. And maybe I could have events and uh, I could have posts and I could have this. And, and right now, one of the paradigms that I'm seeing people from a content strategy perspective, because, you know, we, we've been talking about it from a development hat, and, and David, you're dead on. That's, that's one of it. The other is, is content first. And when we start thinking about the different content paradigms, because one of the paradigms I'm finding myself talking a lot with customers and with other users is this idea of, of uh, not automated, I need to find the right word for it, but it's, it's programmatic content, it's queryable content versus handcrafted content. There are times where I want to tell a particular story and there are times right within the same spot where I might want to autofill intelligent query-driven content. I might, you know, we just worked with a group that wanted to build these complex laid out pages and they wanted to intermix content types. So you look at all these builders out there, most of them are like, well, you could put an image here and three paragraphs here, but it's all static content from a, that kind of perspective. And the ability to intelligently intermix dynamic content this kind of dynamic static hybrid where you go ahead and say, and I want related things automatically pulled in that's intelligent enough to look at the page. Or, you know what, could you just pull in 
the latest events that are related to this organization and and has this date range you know and, and so being able to intermix and start to design that way and i think what's kind of interesting for me and the questions are where does the content need drive development next right yeah i i think you put up some uh, interesting things there because um yeah, but did you understand that, David? Because he lost me. <laughs> Can Shane answer that question? Where does content need to drive? Shane, answer the question. Where, where's content need to go next or drive the system? Yeah. What, well, I'm not sure. I mean, we sort of think things look like newspapers now. You can read instead of newspapers. Is that right. what we talked about? How they fit in? Like it's, times? a lot of times the things we build are driven by the needs of our user. Right. Well, they show up and they're like, I have this problem. And you're like, scratch, scratch, scratch. Okay, well, what known solutions can apply? And then every so often you actually run into something you haven't seen before and you have to get creative. Um, and for us, I think one of the biggest things we've seen, so, you know, we spent the last few years, like everybody else, trying to figure out how to deal with mobile. And, and by mobile, I don't actually mean mobile or responsive. I mean the, the multitude of devices that are being tossed upon us that – the and then after that there became started to be location based things and user based in terms of personalization what we're starting to see a lot right now in terms of content is narrative first it's i actually need to effectively tell these stories so you know we were we were talking to an editorial team at MIT and they had 50 years worth of journals which they were showing the outcome of articles in order of publication date. And we sat down with their editors and we're like, well, 50 year, a 50 year long loop of articles, not all that helpful. What would you want to do? And, and their point was, well, we have a professional editorial team. Plenty of our content is evergreen. Plenty of our content is not. There are relevant, interesting stories right now. You know, like we really like to talk about protection and privacy because this year that's a huge theme and we have a deep well of things to, to take together that some of it will be custom and some of it we can draft and so we can start to create pages that are these really curated narratives you've got these long-form content explorations that have been happening pretty much ever since snowfall shook our world you know and, and there's people who are trying to figure out how do i create a really beautiful long format articulated narrative that doesn't burn your eyeballs or require, you know, as Tehan and Lax did, they did these epic showcase, which required two developers and two designers full-time for two weeks. Nobody can afford that. That's ridiculous. Um, so we've got people who are trying to solve some of these problems of how do you create long form? How do you narratively curate interesting solutions? How do you mix dynamic and static content? I think what's interesting for me is actually seeing how some of these people are solving those problems and yeah, kind of drives that forward. Yeah, I think it is interesting, but I think what you're, but obviously the web, you know, it's new, but actually it was highly influenced by, by the past, by the history of prints and poster design and the, the kind of, the history of print, of newspaper, of how, and what I think what you're describing, Shane, is with all these new devices and new new methodologies of showing data, that um, new methods 
new paradigms of of showing that have to be developed and the past you know has its place but it's probably its influence on on how data was displayed isn't it's not it's probably now a slight handicap then um it was a bit like the early days of the web where everybody was just guessing and, and then and then it became more formatted didn't it i mean i'll give an example david you point out a really interesting facet which is you're starting to collect data sets well as far as the wordpress content community goes except for maybe people who can figure out how to use high charts um there's no really great language, visual systems, or user experience patterns for, I've got this massive set of data, how the heck do I make this consumable to my user? You know, I mean, there, there are all kinds of, you know, we've got all these new metrics and measurement tools and Apple Watches and, and wristbands and, you know, Google's out there trying to figure out how to make my, my shirt monitor me and, like, all this stuff. Well, I think there's an entire world of design and content creation coming to figure out what are we going to do with all this data? And I mean, it's one thing when Google figures it out, it's far more interesting for our audience. When your customer comes to you with 15 or $20,000 and says, Hey, how the heck do I take this stuff and make it useful to my user to tell the right story? How do I help somebody be healthier? How do I help a new parent get the right amount of sleep? Uh, like whatever it is that these problems are being solved in WordPress, like we have no clue what we're doing in terms of it's uncharted territory. I want to say almost that some of these other places don't fully have it solved either. I mean, I'm looking no, at no uh, question about it. At, <laughs> I watch here. What does this tell me about how much I walked this week? Yay. It right. tells me that apparently I've been slacking for most of the weekend uh, <laughs> and got really active in midweek. Uh, but that doesn't really that doesn't really affect I mean that doesn't really affect how I'm doing anything. Um, and the same if I look at that chart, whether on my watch or phone or desktop, that doesn't really tell me anything meaningful. Not yet, anyway. Um, has anyone here yet experienced? Uh, I can't even say read experienced uh, what is code on a desktop yet? Yeah, the new hotness from last week. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, there. I mean, there. Oh, sorry. No, so I, I just want because obviously Shane um, um, wants to leave at five. So I just wanted to cover our last story and probably get John to start off with it. And our, our last story was from Miami WordCamp 2015, and probably David, and it was from Nancy Richmond. And I thought she did an interesting presentation. You know, um, in you know, in the world, uh, a very competitive world with global competition um branding is you know even from a small to a regional to a national company like um modern tribe you know in its niche area now branding how do you brand yourself and how do you be you know brand yourself so you you clearly get your your story across in an ever more competitive kind of less time you know people's attention span is getting less and less and there seems to be more and more how do you build a brand that's effective um would you like to say anything about that john 
Sure. Um, so um, I, I guess that's something that I'm trying to do, like, right now, um, yeah. you know, uh, figure out, like, you know, what my brand is. But I, I what I did recently was kind of go through and figure out what core values um, I want my um, company to, to for. And even though it's just me at the moment, you know, um, if I can grow it to like a larger entity, what what kind of things do I want it to represent? What kind of things um, are important to me? Um, and so, you know, writing down, um, you know, your core values and, and kind of things that you um, think are important with your brand, things that you're going to stand for. And then go and enforce those things with your actions and your words. And in all your um, things, let those principles guide you when you deal with clients and when you deal with customers and colleagues. Yeah. And I, I think the rest is just showing up consistently. Yeah, let's ask David. You know, we had Brian Clark on of Copyblogger, and he said, you know, he built up a big audience he built the brand and then people from the WordPress community came to him and that's how he built Copyblogger and Studio Press. Um, so what would you, uh, what do you feel about, you know, how do you build in a very competitive situation a digital brand, you know? What's your thoughts about that, David? Well, when it comes to people like Brian, um, definitely went about it the right way uh, by being available for that new audience. Um, by that I mean not trying to, uh, you know, from, from everything I saw from the outside anyway, not knowing the internals, I didn't see any uh, attempting to like force his way into an audience. It was more of a, I do something, you people also do something that's similar uh, and you're interested in what I'm doing and kind of like slowly led in to, uh, let me see how I can get involved in this community and let me see what I can give back to this community that will serve both of us well. Um, so I, I think that's an important thing, not trying to uh, force yourself onto users. Um, you know, I, I'm more well-known in the area specifically because people see me out at our events all the time. They know that if they ever send me an email or send me a message or whatever, uh, they know that they'll get a response back. They'll get a response back probably the same day, maybe the next, but they'll get one that's uh, – at the very least, even if I can't help them, I go, no, but let me try to find someone who can. Um, for, that's worked very well for me in terms of repeat business and in terms of word of mouth business. And I think that's more what the brand is about. Uh, I'm actually, coincidentally, I'm uh, rebranding my company now. Um, but that I'm not concerned about people going, whoa, where did, where did he go? Suddenly, uh, you know, this logo looks different or whatever. That's not as important as I know that when I go here, I don't, I don't solve a lot of people's problems. I'll clarify. There are a lot of people who I turn away. There's a lot of people I go, I can't help you for whatever reason. I don't know how. I don't want to. I don't whatever. But I at least try to leave them in a way that says, let me, um, let me do something positive for you. Let me, if I'm not a good fit for you, let me help you find someone who is. Or if I'm not a good fit for you, let me tell you why I'm not a good fit for you for when you're looking for someone else. So you're saying the, you know, the brand is the way that you do business and the way you treat you know, the it, people it's more that than just, Yeah, it's more than just a name and a logo. It's, it's, your, it's your interactions. It's every interaction that you take. 
Yeah. Now, Shane, um, you've kind of um, you got kind of for the size company that you run. One of oh, this is only my perspective. You kind of built a quiet, you know, modern tribe. I love the name, uh, and you you put forward a quite a unique, you know, it's a lifestyle. You know, you put, you know, you talked a lot about this, and it, was that also the positioning, a branding decision as well, or, or did it just come that just all kind of fitted in? Yeah. Um- it's both intentional and an evolution. Um, there was a lot of just personal history behind how we at Robert Frost. Um, I don't know. This has been the most popular. But you're very popular, Shane, because we've had all, 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 all sorts of strange people trying to join us. Okay. I'll try to pronounce the answer. Um, it's a mixture of personal philosophies. I, I think these guys nailed it. Um, and it, it came down to when I was solo, I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out why I be in business, what it meant, um, and the kinds of relationships I wanted to have. Like that, that really sort of mattered to me. Um, the other, it, I'll, I'll skip one and then I'll come back to your question. You asked in a crowded digital space, how do you build a brand? To me, it's how do you create an interesting conversation? Well, so, that's my yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's one of the things I've always like. I usually run up on problems. I run into something. When I was a freelancer running solo, I was like, God, there has got to be an easier way to do this. But I don't have anybody to talk to. This is like 2003, 2004. And, and so come 2006, 2007, I'm starting to figure it out, but but it's like it's pure bootstrap. Like there's there's no blogs telling me how to do it. There's nobody out there talking to. I'm basically meeting people in coffee shops one by one and comparing notes until it got to the point where I was like, you know, there's a bunch of us out here doing this totally alone with absolutely no help whatsoever. So I, I kind of convinced a few of them, like, why don't we like I've heard of this bar camp thing. Why don't we run a freelance camp and maybe we can just get a bunch of people together. And so we started having conversations around like, how are you dealing? Like, Hey, I just had a customer get hacked and now they're mad at me. What the heck do I do? Like, you know, or, or, uh, I'm now six months after trying to get paid, but I can't get eBay to cut a check for the life of me. What, uh, like, these are conversations that people really deal with. Um, and so creating communities, and it's like I've basically gone from every time I run up against a real problem, here's something I found. I go give a talk on it. We, 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 we ran into a, an option to have a merger with another company. And I was like, I don't really understand how this works. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go run a panel on mergers and acquisitions. And I will get all the key people who never likely give me their time in personal life who now have a, a social obligation to sit down, let me quiz the heck out of them so I can get the answers I need, go up on stage, and now from a brand perspective, I am the curator of a very important conversation a lot of people are interested in. Was I the knowledge giver? Not in the slightest bit. I had no clue. But I know just enough because I'm dealing with these problems myself to know what questions matter. Because I could be in the audience taking notes as fast as I can. And I've done this over and over. So it's like for a lot of people, 
Sometimes you don't have to be the one with the answers. You just got to be the one with the best questions and be willing to sort of get out there and write about them and ask them and run podcasts and um, do the things it takes to be part of the right conversations. Shane, don't give away our secret. <laughs> Orlando every year. <laughs> Moderate the panels. Well, um, Shane, you did say you needed to be out. I, the I'm good so far. As soon as my wife drives up, I have oh, to right. Hey, Shane, a couple more questions. i got to go into the personal side. I do several podcasts, and we dig deep. You live over in Santa Cruz, right? Yep. Where are your partners? Are they co-located close? And you're also close to Santa Clara and, of course, Stanford. Is that What's it like living there? Does it work for you, for your business? Yeah. So uh, Reed is in Minnesota, in Twin Cities. Peter happens to be like a mile away, but he, I talk with Reed more than I talk to Peter. Um, and so, you know, there is literally no one else in our and driving distance, the fact that one or two of our customers happens to be over the hill, it was really interesting because before sort of Hangout Skype video really got going, I'd go years without seeing anybody. Like, I have this super clear memory. The first time I ever met Mike, uh, one of our customers, I had worked with a guy for a year and a half, and I showed up, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're not black. Because he has a super deep voice. And it, was, and it just, in fact, it got to the point where Peter and I oh, built a habit of drawing caricatures of people on our team and our customers, because we work with these people for two, three years sometimes without ever meeting them face to face. And you, you build these amazing mental pictures of who they are, and then you meet them and you're like, oh, oh wow, you're like six, seven. And, and like and it's just you know, and you're 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 20 years older. Like I was so wrong, and you quickly realize that you know it's different now with with all the video that we use. But it was locations play such a tiny role in my business. Really, because Jonathan and I talk about that all the time, being in Reno. You know, we're a long ways away from civilization. In my case, personally, it's really had very little impact, which is weird because you'd think being in the valley, I have access to all this wealth. Yeah. Santa Cruz is where everyone says, got to go over to to Santa Clara to get anything done. Yeah. And you're right. All the startup people say that, which I actually think is BS and I dislike, so (laughs) be it. but for me, like, we have this mountain between me and Silicon Valley. It's only a 40-minute drive, but that mountain is like a cultural barrier, and we are in different worlds. I'm in a little beach surf town. Does um, he want to join in? Everybody else is. He disagreed. He just disagreed, but everybody else on this. He likes Santa Clara. I mean, Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, I just want to put this to you, Shane. I think now, but when you, when you were talking, you know, when you've had been interviewed and um, you've done some video presentations, you were when you were, you know, when you were laid off, I think for the third, fourth time, and you decided that was enough. I'm going to do my own thing, and you just phoned up everybody that you knew, and you were just trying to get book a business. Yeah. Did it not really, you know, wasn't it important that you, you know, you talk about going where the type of clients that could hire you 
were and you went there, wasn't it important then where you were? Sort of. Um, most of my first customers came through my dad. I mean, he just happened to be one of those people who's like, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to hit everybody in my network. And my dad just had a better network than I did. What, what did you uh, do? Uh, my, my dad at that point was head of science for Boeing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so so I had this luxury of, of a father who wasn't in tech, like, you know, completely unrelated, but at least he had some credibility and was willing to lend me his credibility. And then I met a freelancer in a coffee shop in my town who happened to be CTO at that time for the Learning Annex. Not local, Learning Annex based out of New York City. But I basically was the most consistent and persistent, obnoxious person. And I was like, you got to hook me up. So he's finally like, fine, here, take this, do that. And it was like through people one at a time, the Valley, I did drive over and I spent a lot of time trying to network there, which literally never led to a project. Um, now what it led to was a lot of learning about how to network. Um, but um, and it did have bigger pools of people. That's legit. And it probably would have eventually led. But what I found was more just through personal relationships. I found actually a lot of leads at conferences. Now, I know a lot of other people are like, conferences, total waste of time. I, I hear that everybody has their own luck. It's not every conference leads to something. But I was really intentional at conferences. You know, I really, like, worked hard to – you talk same thing, You talk about personal brand – personal brand for me is that moment of creating a relationship that is memorable. It's just something that captures somebody's imagination. When I went to conferences, I'm not that guy handing out business cards. That is not memorable at all. It's obnoxious. Negative. My goal was to go and make a friend. If, if I could make an interesting enough conversation that by the time we're done, you're like, dude, we should hang out. Here's like my contact. And when I ping you next time, I was like, hey, we had a really good time talking about, you know, your dog and dog training and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'd love to work together sometime. Like, that was really fun. Let me know if there's anything interesting coming. Or sometimes, like, hey, I, I paid attention to your business and I see an opportunity. Do you think we could tackle this problem together? Is that interesting? Is there money behind that? And it was a, a very intentional relationship building process. And I personally found a lot more success at conferences, which weren't local to me. Yeah, what type they of conferences? Weird network mixers. What type of conferences? What? Uh, sure. I got some really good projects out at Google I.O. Okay. Uh, for a while, South by Southwest was a real, like, it turned into such a zoo eventually that I got lost in the throng and I stopped using that. Like, it was just too much. Um, so how did you um, how did you get into the word WordPress? Because I, I was you doing kind of general web development design, and then you kind of got into WordPress, or did you go straight into WordPress when you, you were let, let go finally? And you started I create WordPress. Um, so I, I was a Cold Fusion developer until Alaire sold to. Adobe, and then it got a little weird, and then I moved to a language. It was a rapid IDE system. It was called Y-Tango, W-I-T-N-G-O. It was basically, a pre, if you want to consider it in modern day, a precursor to Rails. It was the equivalent of Rails for Tango, which was a development language. 
for the web at that time. And then when we started merging projects, we just started exploring all the PHP CMSs. We worked on Joomla for a while and just was really unhappy with the experience. Who uh, is it? Who is it? I don't judge. That was, was my own experience at a particular short window of time. It was really painful. Uh, we worked with CMSMS, which was gorgeous, but the community was really unpleasant. So yeah. we that. And we ultimately, would, what ended up really getting WordPress to be the platform of choice for us wasn't actually what was happening under the hood. It yeah, was, I was, sorry, I was just going to ask David. Um, I've observed, because I, I, I started with Joomla, but I found the, uh, just my personal perspective, David, I found the community not to be the most welcoming. And I got into WordPress, and it was just a Totally like what Shane just said, it was just a totally different kind of. Um, now you do meet some assholes in WordPress, but um, um, in general, you know, so you meet some you know people that need to get off the high stall. But generally, most people in WordPress are down and they want to help people, um, as you're not obnoxious to them. Um, Shane, you now I approached Shane, and Shane's personally given me a little bit of his time and advice, and he, you know he's very approachable. And I found a lot of people in the WordPress community are just like Shane. So, in your experience, do communities differ a lot? And I also think what Shane said, you know, if you don't have a a kind of personal linkage with somebody, it's very un very unlikely they're going to give you some work. What's your experiences on that? So when it comes to separate communities, um, when I when I see related communities, the Joomla community, the Drupal community, the WordPress community, um, or let's say the different distros of Linux or whatever, those different communities seem to have to get along pretty well, uh, just because you know they all are working in a similar type of uh, environment, similar-ish problems, uh, and similar needs of the users there. Uh, when I've seen real issues and when I've experienced personal issues is when different uh, classes of communities get together. So uh, I'm referring to, oh, oh I was, I was uh, at a conference last year representing WordPress uh, among a bunch of, um, a bunch of, a bunch of uh, I don't know what to call them, provisioning tools uh, and uh, services or a bunch of security companies. And uh, they have their own, you know, well-established communities around them. But, man, they had a lot of negative things to say about all the CMS communities out there. Um, and yet, you know, I could have a carry-on conversation just fine with them. You're getting the silo. I think you're going to have to unplug your USB. You're getting the silo. Yeah. All right, what about you, John? What, what's your... Um, when he's sorting out, you know, um, I found the WordPress to be more open than some even CMS, other CMSs. And I don't think people, like what Shane said, if they don't, if you ain't got a connection with somebody, it's very unlikely you're going to get any any kind of work or, or anything like that. What's your feeling? Um, well, I've been very blessed. I came to WordPress very early on um, when I first began web development. And I think it's a great community. That's why I enjoy staying here. Um, I do think that the the community leaders um, and the general vibe of the community is there's a low tolerance for um, 
you know, people who are douchebags. And, and so that really, you know, it really helps. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of bad apples here and there, but I mean, there is everywhere and you judge people by people. Um, when it comes to getting work by having connections, um, it's really strange. I, for me, like work has really been picking up lately. And I think it's, you know, at least locally, I think a lot of it has to do with just going to uh, things like meetups, going to local mixers, uh, you know, going to local chamber of commerce events, things like that, just being out in the community, writing about WordPress, talking about WordPress, um, showing up at the WordPress meetup for the last, you know, two and a half years. Um, I think that that consistency um, helps people identify you. Hey, for um, the listener, John lives in Sacramento, right? Yeah, I live in Sacramento. So yeah. the city, about, what, about a million people there? Um, I, like the, the metro areas, uh, yeah, I think it's like 1.2 million or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Something something like that. Um, but, you know, it's really weird because I actually get more work, um, like, out of town. Like, a lot of my work comes from people that I've never met in real life. And a lot of that is just, you know, going out there and um, making connections. And, you know, when I get an opportunity to do work, just delivering, like, really well off the bat. And, and that's, you know, if you can establish good connections like that and you're known as someone who comes through and is easy to work with, then you're going to get more work. So, yeah, I mean, John's dead on. If you're a freelancer today and you can just demonstrate a history of accountability, holy cow, there's so much opportunity. Like, I will easily choose somebody who is really good at setting expectations and turning in solid work um, than I will ever choose somebody who's absolutely brilliant but mercurial. Like, I just, like, the, the number, like, we have a pretty good inbound pipeline on emails, and at least once a week, I get an email from somebody as a customer who's like, I can't do freelancers anymore. I'm so tired of being disappointed, ignored, let go. Um, I'm going to just, I know you guys are going to cost more, but I'll just pay for the stability. And that's a lost opportunity because you could have had a perfect marriage. And these are like, these are great brands who come to us, which means they were open to working with freelancers. Um, but that's what we're Sorry, I was say I think the same thing uh, applies similar to what I said before about uh, being responsive, being uh, helpful when you can, um, because even if I'm not the right person to help these people, uh, what's to say that uh, I'm not the right person forever, or I'm not the right person right. to help their friends, or just something that you know can make the stars align later. Being responsible, being responsible, Bonding and being dependable. That's a big deal. And actually, what you said, David, about referral networks is huge. One of the things we've noticed is that I do my really best, not just, I try not to ever say no. As best as I can, I try to say, hey, that project might be under our minimum budget. Let me hook you up with some people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because what I found a lot of times is I refer and when they do have a bigger budget or when they do have something, they're like, wow, that guy was really helpful. And if I don't have anybody in my network, 
who addresses that issue, well, even if he's not available, he helped me out last time, he might point me in the right direction again. So the amount of work that comes back to us that we said no to, but because of the way we said it was helpful and respectful and caring is huge. Well, I think, yeah, I think that's great. I, 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 you know, what is generally said about your, you know, about modern tribe, you know, you, not everybody's going to say great thing, but the majority of people have always said good things to me about modern tribe and about the leadership of, of your business, you and your partners. Um, in general, you, you know, you, you're highly, you know, thought of. Um, and I think that that really pays off in the end, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I was, I was just going to ask you, um, though, when you have been, you know, you, you, though people have been looking at you, actually being a WordPress shop, you know, when you've been, you know, maybe compared to Drupal, it's WordPress. We don't think it, it can do the job. Have you had those conversations? Sure. I mean, it, it, when, once you get an enterprise, that, that's a really common conversation. Let Every year it's less than it was, but every time we try to push it farther, it comes back again. So when, you know, as we're going into these, oh, well, yeah, we can use WordPress as a data source to do these absolutely crazy bleeding edge things, and you start to suddenly you work with large internal IT teams that are like, wait, 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 hold on there. Well, what about secure? Well, I found this uh, security report on this random arbitrary website, and you've got to learn how to deal with those typical concerns and fears. Um, there's the usual WordPress versus Drupal debate that happens at larger scale. Um, that's really common. What you also tend to find is you have organizations that sort of have in general an approach. Now, I, I use Stanford, but that's because I'm working with them a lot right now. Stanford, up until recently, was a Drupal company. I mean, Drupal shop. Call it whatever you will. I mean, that's that's who they were. And when you when you want to do a change there, it's because there's a champion who has a reason. You know, almost always. In fact, this is why we're such big fans of WordPress. Historically, we were really open to any. CMS. We weren't biased. We were like WordPress is forever. We were like, we were pragmatic. At the end of the day, I've got a mortgage to pay. I want to play with my kids. Like, I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pragmatist. But here's what I noticed. We would deliver projects in different CMSs and all the other, all our customers would eventually call us back and be like, hey, the only person who could figure out how to use this just left the company. Can you train us all over again? Except the WordPress projects. Those, the only times they historically ever called back was, hey, we want another round of custom development. And I really liked that. <laughs> that was a great relationship. Um, and that's what ultimately drove us further and further in WordPress. It's also why I'm so paranoid about this user experience stuff. Because if that is the dominant reason why we're winning contracts, why people, like why Stanford moved to WordPress to try to Drupal, was because they were like, hey, our users are just figuring this out. With Drupal, we're doing tons of training and effort. Well, for us to stay competitive on that story, we need to continue to actually address users' needs and keep it simple. And that's harder as we get more and more complex in what we do. Yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, we got to address it, and yeah, we got to contribute back into the community in the ways that matter. Um, 
Well, thanks, Shane. I think I think we're going to call it a day now because I'm getting a bit hot in um, yeah, in Reno. Yeah. It's going to be hot. It's probably hot in Miami, wherever Florida. Um, um, but thank you so much, Shane. It's been a pleasure, and thank you, David. You, you and also John, you've all contributed. I think we've had an interesting and insightful and. As as normal, Shane, you've been fantastic and you contributed a lot to the to the live show and I appreciate you agreeing coming on. Yeah, it certainly yeah. is. But thanks, David. I thought you were fantastic. And uh, David, your, your picture is really good. Your sound is really good, John. Your sound has been good today. Both, okay, you, thanks. You, you, you both. Um, it was quite an intense conversation, but I think we provided some entertainment and um, some insights. And thanks. For, I think you both were fantastic. Thank you. I thought, I thought Shane was an excellent guest today, and I think he provided a lot of insight. Yeah, he's got oh, an interesting background. He's a great guy, actually. He's spoken to me, and he spent a bit of time with me when he didn't need to. And he's very approachable, and he's very down to earth, but he's very knowledgeable as well. Our next guest next month is one of my. Um, is Pippin Williams. And then what can I say about Pippin? Um, I'm just a fanboy. You know, what can I say? Um, he's just an amazing guy. I've had some conversations with him and a great guy. He's, he's a bit like Shane, but um, I'm sure it's going to be a pretty interesting conversation. Having the right website can be a game changer. It's your platform. And with your website hosting, marketing, and design all being critical parts of the equation, it can be a daunting task. But there's good news. You don't have to spend months learning WordPress, list building, SEO, and podcasting. Get up and running fast. We have the solution. Join Podcasters Home today, and for a limited time, we will set up your website hosting, list builder, and create your custom podcast website for half the cost. Go to podcastershome.com forward slash 21, or call me at 775-233-8065. When you have your website and podcast up and running and you're ready to take it to the next level, as well as reduce the stress of managing your WordPress sites, let Jonathan and his team do all the hard work. Go to wptonic.com forward slash services to see how Jonathan's programs can save you hours each month and keep your WordPress site optimized and up and running smoothly.